The only thing for sure about Sting is my retirement, Revolution 2024, is for sure. Welcome to McGuire on Wrestling. What do you guys want to talk about? Let's give the people what they want. Professional wrestling. With Mike McGuire. The happiest Canadian camper in the world. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Give me a hell yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Revolution Day. It is the big day where Sting's final match is happening from Greensboro, North Carolina. We do have a guy down there we're going to talk to tomorrow after the show is done, and we'll bring that to you on the pod feed as an extra little bonus here. He's going to be there for Sting's last match tonight as well as a bunch of other matches. Lots to talk about in the week of wrestling besides Sting's farewell, although there are some stories surrounding that that are also very interesting, so we'll give you the rundown on that in just a bit. Plus, Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer, he's going to be here and we'll talk about some of the legends we lost this past week. If you are checking out Maguire on Wrestling for the first time, first of all, this show is always free, always about pro wrestling, always in your feed waiting for you, especially if you hit that subscribe button. If you want to support the show, a five-star reviews and comments are the best way to do it wherever you get your podcast. It doesn't cost you nothing, and it means a lot to our business in helping make this show grow. And if you do want to support the show financially, we don't believe in just, hey, you should pay for the privilege of of hearing us. That's that's not what this is about at all. What we do invite you to do is check out the merch store at mcguireshow.com and that website's going to be growing soon as well. I've got some uh, some columns and some other ideas going to be coming to that. Also, welcome you to reach out anytime if you got any questions, any comments, any ideas for the shows that you would like to hear. If you're a podcaster out there and maybe you're looking up your profile a bit, you know, we're getting a pretty good thing going here. Reach out. You can find me on social media at McGuire Show, or you can email me directly mcguireshow at yahoo.com. That email goes directly to me. It does not go to a, a data collecting service or anything crazy like that. It's just me reaching out to you and saying, hey, let's have some fun. Let's talk about wrestling. Coming up this week, as we said, it's AEW Revolution Day, and we are hours away from Sting's last match. Also, an update on a former WWE star who's facing felony charges. We look back on the lives of some wrestling legends that we lost this past week. Plus, we have some of your feedback and your favorite moments from the Stinger's career. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer is here, and I have a special announcement about a pretty cool guest that will be joining us on the show next week. That's all on the way, but first, let's go to some of the biggest stories of the week. Here is the five count. You want to hear the breaking news? We start off with an update on Billy Jack Haynes, the former WWE star from the 1980s, who was recently arrested in connection with the death of his wife. It was back on February 11th, you might remember, reports came in from Haynes' home in Oregon that he had been arrested as the suspect in the shooting death of his wife in their home. Well, after a several-hour standoff, Haynes was taken to hospital for issues unrelated to the incident. This past Thursday, though, Haynes was officially charged with weapons offenses and second-degree murder. After a brief appearance in court, Haynes' trial has been set to begin on April the 11th. 
Well, this past week saw the passing of three legendary figures in pro wrestling, each famous for their own different contributions. We begin with the passing of Ole Anderson, the former wrestling star and notorious wrestling booker who had a reputation for being a bit rough around the edges and even once penned a book called Inside Out, How Corporate America Destroyed Professional Wrestling. Now, Ole was also famously one of the original four horsemen alongside of Arn Anderson, who was actually never a real relative, Ric Flair, and Tully Blanchard. Ole Anderson passed away at 81 this past Monday. We would also lose the man who portrayed the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase's bodyguard, Mike Virgil Jones, on Wednesday morning. Jones had been dealing with numerous health issues over the years. He passed away at just age 61. And on Friday, it was announced that Paul Butcher Vachon, the last of Canada's famed Vachon wrestling family, had also passed away the night before at age 81. The Butcher would most notably be a tag team champion alongside his brother, Maurice Mad Dog Vachon. We send our condolences to the friends, family, and fans of these three legends. Well, AEW Revolution is tonight. So far, we have a nine-match card with some big names appearing, as well as Sting's last match. There's an eight-man scramble. You've got FTR taking on the Blackpool Combat Club's Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley. Will Ospreay makes his AEW full-time roster debut against Konosuke Takeshita. The TNT Championship will be defended by Christian Cage against Daniel Garcia. The International Belt is up as Orange Cassidy defends against Roddy Strong. The Continental Crown Championship of Eddie Kingston's is up against Brian Danielson. And the Women's World Championship sees timeless Tony Storm defending against Deanna Perazzo. Wrapping up the show, the World Championship triple threat match between Samoa Joe, Hangman Adam Page, and Swerve Strickland, and of course, the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tornado Tag Match, as Sting and Darby Allin will defend their titles against the AEW EVPs, Matthew and Nicholas Jackson. While Sting's last match is tonight, his final regular appearance on AEW television was this past Wednesday on Dynamite, and there was a moment that had some fans feeling a little uneasy, but the issue has since been addressed. Now, much like Sting did in the 90s, he would make an entrance at the end of the show by descending from the ceiling, a similar stunt that, of course, took the life of Owen Hart back in 1999. When Owen's fall happened, both WWE and WCW eliminated any descending entrances both out of respect and to prevent another instant. Now, Sting had done the entrance since Owen's passing, but very sparingly. But this was the first time in AEW, and seeing Sting come from the rafters on Wednesday had some fans wondering what Owen's widow, Martha Hart, who through the Owen Hart Foundation is associated with AEW, would be feeling about the stunt. According to a report from Fightful Select this week, AEW President Tony Khan did reach out to Martha before the stunt, and she reportedly gave her blessing. Well, of course, there's lots of shows that happen around WrestleMania every year in every city, and WrestleCon has announced some of the big names that's going to be joining them for their show this year. Among the names are recent WWE releases Nick Nemeth and Matt Riddle. Also, the legendary hacksaw Jim Duggan will be there selling 2x4s. TNA's Jordan Grace, Jonathan Gresham, AEW's Ricky Starks, and Thunder Rosa are also billed, as well as the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey. Now, if you can't make it to WrestleCon, Ronda is also making her way across the U.S. coming up to promote her new book, Our Fight. Ronda will be touring across the U.S. from April 2nd to April 21st. Well, we mentioned the incredible Owen Hart just a minute ago. It was this day 
1997 that Owen Hart would help usher a new championship into WWE. Now, Andy did talk a little bit about this on the Squared Circle this past week. We'll take you back to that moment. Plus, Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer is standing by. This is McGuire on Wrestling. You got to stream the alternate commentary table every single Saturday. It's brought to you on the McGuire on Wrestling feed. I'm one half of your host, Demetri Carolas, and I'm here with my partner, Mitch Hondras. Mitch, what is the alternate commentary table? It's simple. It's the perspective of wrestling from the other side of the railing, the real fans. That's right. The perspective that you need. You might have a little bit of fun, too. The alternate commentary table. Subscribe free now to the McGuire on Wrestling podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. Cheshire. Welcome back to McGuire on Wrestling. It was today in 1997 that most WWE fans would see Owen Hart and his then co-tag team champion and brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, square off to crown the first ever WWF European champion. Now, I say most WWE fans because the fans in Germany who were at the match actually watched it happen a week prior. What a match! Tremendous match. Owen Hart very depressed, very distraught. He thought he had the match won with a victory roll, but the victory roll was countered by the British Bulldog. Nothing but a great pure wrestling counter, and the Bulldog is victorious. But what one heck of a wrestling match we have just been privileged to see. See, the episode of Raw from Berlin, Germany was actually taped in advance, and word had gotten out that Davy Boyd won the match. So, while the show didn't do as well in the ratings as you would think, whether you watch the match live or on tape or even find it now online, I highly suggest checking out Owen Hart versus Davy Boy Smith. You will see a 20-minute classic between Owen and the Bulldog. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Insider with Dave Meltzer, McGuire on Wrestling. Well, Dave, of course, it's a historic day in pro wrestling with Sting's last match coming up. We'll, we'll talk all about the Stinger in just a second, but I was just mentioning as our look back on history, today the anniversary of the day that the match aired between Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, that European Championship match from Germany back in 97. That was a, a different Raw back then. I mean, they weren't doing anything like that really before i mean can you tell us other things maybe about that show that night that were were special back then i mean i just remember that um it wasn't like a real tv taping almost it was just like yeah. it was almost it was house show footage of an absolutely fantastic match i mean mm -hmm. i remember the match it was like so much better than than any matches that you would see on television in that era you know right. longer and just you know those you know i mean owen was a great great wrestler and davy when he had the right opponent and, and had the right mindset, was also a great wrestler. And it was them at their best. It was one of the best matches of the year. And the most interesting thing to me was when the ratings came out, um, it got schlacked. And, I mean, it was actually the show or one of the shows that ended up getting Vince Russo involved because the gap was so big between the two shows. And the one thing that it really taught everyone is that how important production values were because – that match was, you know, it looked like house show footage, you know, I mean, the production values were nothing compared to a TV taping. And it did a horrible quarter hour, as I recall, for, mm -hmm. for like a match that quality wise was better than any match you would almost ever see on television. Yeah. It was like, the one thing that we learned is like, it doesn't matter how great the match is. If people see the lower production values, they're going to switch to the other show because they were going head to head with Nitro in those days. And, and Nitro had a great, um, you know, that people switched to Nitro because it, it looked prettier. And it was a lesson that, um, you know, WWE learned and everyone learned that 
It's got to look prettier. It doesn't matter how good the match itself is. But it was yeah. a, it was a it was a classic match, though. I mean, I mean, you know, to me, I mean, look, it's twenty six years ago, almost twenty seven years ago, I guess now, mm-hmm. and I remember the match completely. And how many matches from that year I'm gonna am I gonna be remembering completely that one and you know a half dozen others? That's about it. It is online, and just for the feature today, I, I did go back and rewatch the start to finish. It's like a 21, 22 minutes. It's just a work of art. And like you said, it's oh, one of those yeah, great. Yeah, just absolute classic match. Yeah. Let's jump into tonight, the end of an era in Sting's wrestling career. I mean, this is a guy who has always been the perennial favorite for wrestling fans, I think. Like, even if you weren't a, a huge, you know, body guy or gimmick guy. You always kind of respected Sting. So what does Sting's career coming to an end tonight mean? You know, I somebody brought up to me yesterday. It's like, this is the actual end of Jim Crockett promotions because he was the last guy in the last, you know, year or two of Jim Crockett promotions who was a legitimate star that's still around. I mean, Ric Flair is around, but he hasn't been wrestling for years. Right. But this is a match. You know, and I, you know, it's the main event on the show. I mean, um, I haven't heard a match order, but I presume it's on last. And it has to be in my mind. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the main event of a show for the 64-year-old guy. And, I mean, the one thing when I look back at this run that he's had, it's like he could have phoned it in. And, boy, did he not do that. I mean, he wanted to keep up with the guys. And, and he had money. You know, he, he didn't need to put himself through tables and jump off balconies and things that he did. I mean, he didn't need to, he, you know, I'm shocked he did in many ways, but you know, it's a real credit, it's a real credit to him wanting to be a guy who doesn't just hang on based on his reputation. And it's so funny in its own weird way because of the evolution of, of, of sting and the evolution of life, because, you know, when sting was in there, you know, at 30, you know, he was like, ah, why would Ric Flair still be wrestling at 41? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, um, it's like, why, why would he be, or 40, you know, cause they were 10 years apart. It's like, you know, I, you know, him and Luger and those guys, it's like, they never had any intention of wrestling past 40. And here Sting is at 64 and he's still wrestling. And, and to his credit, I mean, I mean, you know, he, he obviously was a, a superior athlete, but one of the things, and I mean, it's not, he never wrestled in easy style. He always, you know, um, especially when he was younger, he took a lot of risks and everything. And and a, as a as a pretty good sized guy, not a small guy at all. Right. And here we are at sixty four, and it's like most of those guys from that era, when they're in their sixties, I mean, their bodies are thrashed. And he's out there, and and you know, he moves pretty well. You know, it's not like thirty year old Sting, but it's he moves well, and he's not like you don't watch it. On occasion, he's had you know moments where it isn't the greatest, but everyone has those moments. You know, I mean, um, well, over that long of a career, it's bound to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about like in the last year or two, as far as like where you know, like a lot of guys when they're old, man, they look old. And right. I mean, Sting is old, and it's not like he looks young and anything at sixty four, but but I mean, he works at an in- incredible level. You know, all things considered, I have all. You know, and he's a nice guy, and I got all the respect in the world for Sting in this run and what he's done for AEW as far as just being being a great role model for the younger wrestlers, you know, more than anything else. You know, more than being like, well, is he drawing card or whatever? He's been a guy who was at the top of the mountain and, like, was, you know, from a career basis, you know, had more notoriety. Um, him and Jericho, I guess, both. But, you know, had more notoriety than than anyone else on that roster 
and boy, did he never phone it in and, and never caused, I never heard any, any, any troubles with Sting in this whole, you know, three, almost four year run, three and a half year run that he's had there. And everyone respects him and, you know, um, whatever he does and whatever the match is, I hope it's exactly what he wants it to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever that is. And I hope that they have a great ceremony planned because, um, when, when Keiji Muto retired last February, I mean, I just, I, you know, mentioned to Tony Khan and mentioned to many people. It's like, this is the prototype. And that was an incredible, incredible ceremony. So there's a lot yeah. to live up to. You know, I mean, it's really, I mean, I think the onus is on Tony to, and, and, I, and I'm sure he's going to work his ass off to make it work, but it's like, it's got to be something memorable. Like, you know, the it's got to be perfect. It really does. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. This is a question I'm asking a lot of the listeners today. So I wanted to ask you, Dave, I know that you tend to look at these things a little more objectively in what you do. But if you were to rank a personal favorite sting moment for you, so not not necessarily a match, but a moment that stands out for you when you think of sting like this was his moment. This is what reminds you of sting the most. What would it be? The match in Greensboro in, um, you know, uh, 36 years ago. Um, that's, you know, the March 27th, 1988 head to head with WrestleMania and, and Rick Flair and Sting had the best match of the day by far. Well, Midnight Express and Fantastics had a great match too. So I want to say by far, but, mm-hmm. but they went out there and, and had an incredible match and it was a match that made Sting's career. And, uh, so that would be the first one. I mean, I think, I know there's the Sting Luger and, and Steiner's match on one of the pay-per-views circa 1990, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Super Brawl maybe, um, you know, the, the the Sting hottest moment would have been that chase of Hulk Hogan. But I think that what hurt that was the climax, which is, you know, so weak. And that it almost right. solved a lot of it. But, I mean, as far as the chase was, you know, one of the all-time classic booking things. And the, the execution of the finale was one of the all-time classic misses, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons. You know, most of which was Hulk Hogan, really. There's so many matches and so many moments to choose from. Where would you rank him finally beating Flair for the championship? That's the Baltimore match. The Baltimore. I was at the Baltimore match, and it was certainly great. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, like I, I was there live, and it wasn't. Um, like it was a, a usual Flair Sting match to me. It was like there was. It wasn't like like the Greensboro match to me was was one of the best ones that they had, and they had many. Okay. Big yeah. Whereas Baltimore, I didn't think was at the level of, of Greensboro. Well, I think Sting just winning. I think that's probably what made might have made up for it from an emotional standpoint. I, I don't know. That's that's yeah, my take first, on it. But his first win. I mean, this, this the sad part is that he had you know the Black Scorpion thing, which just like ruined the whole reign. So I guess, yeah. <laughs> we we can't change it, so we got to look back and remember what we like about things. I guess. Uh, moving on, uh, it was a weird week as far as uh, losing some figures in wrestling. Now. All three memorable for different reasons, depending on when you grew up as a fan or when you watched, perhaps, or maybe the reasons you watched here. But I think by far the most notable one as far as a a lasting impact has to be the passing of Ole Anderson and his impact, both for good and not so good on the wrestling business. I mean, Ole was notoriously bitter towards the end, uh, towards the entire industry. I mean, he, he helped pen that book that was trashing the industry today and everything and and now, I mean, people look back at Ole Anderson, and and it's kind of like, a, yeah, you know, he did some good things, but they, they're almost kind of like biting their tongue when they talk about him. So for those that don't understand 
the the legacy of Ole Anderson, perhaps. What can you tell us about him? Well, Ole was a fantastic promo and a great heel. You know, I mean, and the Anderson brothers were one of the best tag teams of the 70s, without a doubt. Um, dominant team, years and years and years in the Carolinas and Georgia and, and many, you know, great feuds. I mean, he was a top star, not like the top star, mm-hmm. um, but he was a top star. And at times he was the top heel in in uh, Georgia more than, and I think in the Carolinas maybe when Flair was champion, you know, Flair wrestled Ole when Flair was a babyface a couple times that did very, very well. Um, but I mean, uh, to me, like my a lot of people will remember, you know, like the, the Anderson brothers. To me, like my memory is like the Dusty Rhodes Ole Anderson feud in 1979 in, in Georgia, which I thought was really hot and it was on national TV. So they went in other places as well. And um, Ole was, you know, I mean, Dusty was super, super charismatic and Ole was a great foil for Dusty. Um, they wrestled at the Cow Palace. That wasn't really that much and it didn't draw. But I mean, I remember, you know, it was just the fact that they would do a, a Georgia match at the Cow Palace even though it, it, like I said, it didn't work, but they, that they would do it in a main event, um, you know, said something for the idea of confidence that they had, you know, some places it worked very, very well. Um, you know, I think it really depend on how, uh, you know, how much of, uh, you know, how many, how much of the community was hooked up to TBS at the time. And mm-hmm. I know, I don't know how much was in San Francisco was, I know in San Jose, everyone had it, but, um, obviously it wasn't enough, but that's neither here nor there. That's a minor story. But, um, that to me, like that was it. But you know, a lot of people remember the Four Horsemen. I mean, Ole himself hated the Four Horsemen period. You know, he didn't even want to talk about it. It was like for him, wrestling was him and Gene in the 1970s, and the rest of it was just, you know, I mean, once you know whatever it was. I mean, he, he that was his wrestling was 1970s wrestling, and he was very good at it. And when it changed, um, well, he still was a good heel and a good talker. He was always a good talker. Right. Um, it was just wasn't for him. You know, I mean, man, he was very vocal about it. You know, didn't hated hated what WWF did, hated what Crockett did, hated what Dusty did. You know, just you know, negative about everything. You know, I mean, it was weird because it's like you know, he would knock Flair, who was he did his best business of his career with Flair. He would knock Dusty, who's his other big rival. Um, he would knock he knocked everyone. You know, everyone except for Gene and and Wahoo McDaniel and the guys. From, you know, the seventies was his era. Well, that's what I wonder. Like, did you ever get a chance to ask him about any of this stuff, or or did he ever say exactly why? Well, I had a, I had an infamous radio interview with him. He was terrible. I mean, it was like, it's, I, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I remember. It was that. a hilariously bad interview, but yeah. you know, and I, there's nothing I could have done about it. I mean, I tried. I tried to salvage it, but it was impossible. I mean, he was just so bitter. You know, Randy Savage is every. You know, Randy Savage is nothing. Hulk Hogan's nothing. They can't. WWF can't draw. It's like, you know, it's like, what are you going to, what do you say when someone's just, he's not following it. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's out there saying these ridiculous things. WWF was doing great at the time. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were great drawing cards. I mean, he, I remember when uh, in 83, I think it was when they brought Randy Savage in for the tag team tournament with Magnum TA as a team, they had a Thanksgiving tournament in Georgia and Ole was the booker. And I don't know what brought, that together because neither of them were in the territory but you know they would bring outsiders into the tournament i was like oh this is really good because randy savage is going to get his shot um on national tv and it was like randy savage came in always saw nothing in him because i had seen randy savage for years and i thought he was one of the best there was right 
didn't see. Now he did see Stardom and Buzz Sawyer and 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 uh you know pushed him very, very hard. And Buzz Sawyer was a very hard worker, he had a million problems, but you know, he was a very talented guy. But you know, I mean Oli Oli absolutely had his successes as a booker from 76 to you know 80-ish, 81, you know, whatever, whenever the cutoff was. And, you know, from that point on, it was a cutoff. You know, wrestling changed and he was, you know, he he didn't believe in bringing in, you know, by this point when he's trying to cut down expenses, he didn't believe in paying for the world champion. So on that, the NWA's big national outlet, we rarely would see the world champion for a period of time. And, you know, he him and Barnett had their falling out and, um, you know, George ended up being sold from under him, which is a crazy story. Then um, he ended up booking WCW when Sting was world champion. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it, he, he, I just remember I had, a, I mean, I actually had more than one, you know, I had, I had more than one conversation with Oli, you know, during that period. I mean, the, the radio interview was a radio interview. Yeah. I do, I do remember him calling me and just, you know, go making the point of, you know, um, I looked at all the, the pay-per-view numbers and, you know, Sting really did do as well as Flair. We didn't go down. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, you didn't go down. But pay-per-view was, you know, it was in more and more homes. You didn't go up either. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, you know, business did get worse after he left. But business did go bad on his watch. Like 1990 um, with, with Sting and the Black Scorpion in that second half of that year was certainly worse than 1989 when right. he had all the great talent. Okay. Well, and again, just a, a complicated guy by the sounds of things, but definitely had some some net positives and net negatives when it comes to his contributions over the years. So yeah, I just wanted I'll, to... I'll, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, the, the promo he did when he turned on Dusty Rhodes in the cage, it's on YouTube. It's one of the rest, best wrestling promos you'll ever see. I mean, he, he, he was a great heel promo. Absolutely great. It was actually reminiscent of the, the promo that The Rock did the other day on, on Twitter. I'm watching that going like I just watched the freaking Holy promo and he's doing the same thing, more modernized and better, but it's the same premise. And it was uh, I thought the rock thing was uh, was a brilliant was a brilliant. We, we will talk about that rock promo in just a second here. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer and WrestlingObserver.com joining us here. Of course, we've talked about Sting as far as the retrospective goes. We'll get your thoughts uh, coming up on Revolution in just a moment as well. But another guy, and this is more of an interesting character, I think, than anything lost this past week, was uh, Mike Jones, Virgil, Vincent, however people remember him. I remember him most as Virgil, obviously, as I think a lot of fans do. Most people remember him as Virgil, yeah. But this is a guy who, I I think for all the the knocking that maybe people have made over the years, I mean, to me, Virgil's kind of a a classic example of, of just that, Carney hustling wrestler out there trying to squeeze everything he can out of a time he he had a name. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you can say that. He certainly hustled. You know, I mean, he, you know, him and Ted DiBiase were close. And then, you know, he kind of, he would, you know, go to promoters and go, oh, yeah, you know, bring me and Ted DiBiase and never tell Ted DiBiase and made Ted DiBiase look bad when he wasn't there. You know, knowing right. that Ted DiBiase was the bigger draw than he was. Um, so, you know, that's whatever. Um I mean, it was the the Ted DiBiase virtual act was a great act, you mm-hmm. know. But you know, I mean, he was stoic, and Ted DiBiase was the the life of it. But you know, he was there, and he was the guy, and um, you know, the stuff later with WCW when he was Vincent and Shane that was just, you know, the Virgil name itself was certainly 
Um, you know, it's, it's Dusty Rhodes' real name. And, and well, yeah, it was a dig at Dusty. We knew that. It was a Vince McMahon and 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 uh, Patterson and all them just trying to make fun of Dusty. And then he goes to WCW, and it's Bischoff and those guys trying to make fun of Vince. And then he's called Shane by Vince Russo, who's trying to make fun of Shane. And it's just like, you know, that that's his names were to make fun of the other people. At least the Ted DiBiase Virgil stuff, as far as was was very well done and it was a very good act. The stuff in the NWO, it was just to me, it was just mean spirited without any without any of that positive. You know, it's just, right. you know, let's just get back at those guys. And it's like it's 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 really petty. You know, I guess that's the best way to put it. Well, I only met the guy once. It was at a WrestleCon. I was waiting for something else, and I got quote unquote Virgil, as they say, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, I was I didn't care. I was there with the cash. I was like, ah, here you go, buddy. Here, take the cash and take the picture, and we'll see I, you later. I, I, I remember at a convention, you know, where he and he and I were together, and we talked all day. He was, you know, nice enough guy. Yeah. Just sad at the end, you know, two strokes, dementia. Yeah. You know, it's and unfortunately, you know, that dementia thing really bothers me a lot now because. I see it in, in so many people, you know, I mean, Oli had it, um, you know, that wrestling thing. And that's, I've really been cringing because everyone's been doing chair shots to the head again, which mm-hmm. we got away from. And now I've seen it in AEW, I've seen it in WWE. And it's just like this dementia thing. When these guys get to be older, it's real. And it's like, I don't know how to prevent it. And I don't know if you can, but it's just like, when I see a chair shot to the head hard, it's just like, man, it, 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 I don't I don't like it in pro wrestling. Hard blows to the head don't need to happen because this is a controllable business and and it should be about safety. You know, it's like if it's boxing or it's football or it's MMA, you can't control that. It's going to happen. It's a sad part of it. Pro wrestling you can control it to a degree. I mean like look, like I I always say like you can replace knees, you can replace hips, you can't replace a brain and protect your brain. I always tell people, protect your brain at all points because dementia is is a horrible, horrible thing. All right, Dave. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on. You were talking about it, even comparing it to Ole Anderson standards here. The Rock's pair of promos, I guess we could say, because, of course, there was the 21-minute spectacle on Twitter or X, and then there was the night in the ring on SmackDown as well. The Rock seems to be firing on all cylinders here. Looks like we are getting the tag match night one as things are shaping up here. What do you credit? Maybe is it WWE allowing him to go further? Is it him just going on his own and it's doing him. it? But it's him. It isn't him. This is him. And this is people. all him. Yeah. Because he's he's taking things a lot further than anybody else on TV will right now. I mean, basically calling the entire crowd crackheads that night. I mean, that's a little extreme, but. At the same time, it's it's the rock, right? It's heel rock. So I mean, you can't get on the character for that, but it's definitely not the uh, the PG WWE we've been used to when it comes to his stuff. Look, he can get away with anything because he's who he is. Um, I mean, it's I'll tell you a funny story. Is when I woke up on Friday, okay, before I had even known that there was this promo on X, yeah. I got a text from someone in WWE, and it's just like, well, this is. What happened was, is he wanted to do this super long promo and, you know, it wasn't going to happen on TV. So he went and cut it himself. Okay. So then I go like, I don't buy this story. I just don't buy this. Even though it's told me, I don't buy this story. So I check with someone who I know in creative and it's just like, uh, there's no way, you know, like if Dwayne Johnson's on my show and he wants to talk for an hour, I say, look, I'm only in it for ratings and Hmm. it's the WrestleMania 
It's the first day main event, and it's Dwayne Johnson. That's what he wants. Talk for an hour. And it's person that I, I basically said that. And the person goes, you're wrong. We have a show, blah, 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 blah. You know, this is this is what it's going to have to be. And we didn't know he was going to do this promo, but we're, you know, we're kind of shocked. But it's like, okay, you know, it's Dwayne. Then the show happens and he does another long promo. Yeah. And it just told me basically that, uh, you know, certainly he, what I thought was the same thing. It's like when push comes to shove, he's going to do what he wants, even if people you know, have scripted a different show. And it's, I think, the same thing for the next two weeks. It's like, whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. And because at the end of the day, you know, it's just like, who runs the company? It's Ari, Emmanuel, and Nick Khan. And they are voting with Dwayne over anyone at in any circumstance. And there's, there's your answer. Well, it's going to make an interesting month build to WrestleMania, to say the least, as uh, Dwayne does his thing. It's going to be a giant WrestleMania, though. All right, let's go back to AEW. Of course, we've talked about Sting and Sting's last match. As far as the rest of the show around this match, is it fair to say that this is a one-match card, even with no disrespect to the other guys and girls on the thing? No, it's not a a one-match card, but the match... um, Whatever the pay-per-view number is, is determined by the interest in Sting's last match. Yeah. yeah I that's mean, that's like, more what I mean, I think. I mean, is that is that really what's bringing everybody say. to this thing? That's 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 fair to say. Like like the Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston, and Osprey and Takeshita and the Swerve and Samoa Joe and yeah. look, they're gonna there's gonna be some great matches on this show. Oh I yeah. Mean, really great matches. But I mean, as far as what is what is the main event? What is the draw? I mean, it's purely the Sting matches. It's the draw. But, I mean, I look on paper, I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get a great undercard. But, you know, it's like one of those things where it is the undercard, even though the world title, which, you know, you got three guys who are all good promos and they're all great wrestlers. And 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 I think that if you took the Sting match off of the show, I think it probably does close to what most of the pay-per-views do, maybe about what it does. So hopefully the Sting thing juices it up. I know people who think it's going to be one of the biggest ones they've ever done. Even some people think it's going to be the biggest. I'm not as confident as that, but I do expect it to be well above usual. Darby Allen is 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 going to do everything he can, and Sting in his last match is going to hold nothing back, and the Young Bucks are excellent. I have no doubt this will be a great main event. But it's still, this show is all about the what happens after the bell in the main event, to me. Okay. Jake wanted to know, do you think we get north or south of 150,000 on this? North is my prediction. Yeah. I hope I'm right. I would be I would be disappointed if it was south of 150 because the last one was 140, 140 right. So, I would really hope I mean, I I hope for north of 160. Um, you know, I mean, and we'll have a we'll know by midweek or late in the week, you know. Yeah. Uh, a roundabout estimate. I mean, like you really don't know for a month, but you have, you have a pretty good idea by the end of the week how it's going to do. But I, I'd like to I'd like to see it do. Um, I mean, I'd like to see it do. You know, number three of all time. I think number one and number two, which is the the first Punk match in the uh, Wembley. I think that's a hard. That's going to be a hard one to reach because um, that's two hundred plus. Right. Um, but I'd like to see it m- number three of all time. I think that would be a real great cap to his career. 
There you have it, Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer and WrestlingObserver.com. Dave, before we let you go, of course, a lot of people getting geared up to watch the show tonight live. Uh, what can they perhaps read about before the show in the latest edition of the Wrestling I, Observer newsletter? I got a giant story on Ole Anderson, and it's a very interesting covering. You know, he had a, you know, the from from the Minnesota Wrecking Crew to how he got how he just got into wrestling was a with mm-hmm. with the uh, wrestling Danny Hodge. And um, the early days in the AWA and then the formation, you know, going to the Carolinas and becoming Ole Anderson and, you know, the four horsemen and the running Georgia and the sale of Georgia to Vince McMahon is an absolutely fascinating story. It's it's uh, there's just a lot to that. And then, you know, plus, you know, Mike Jones and um, the new Japan Okada's last matches in Japan, um, the preview for. you know, the coverage of the last WWE, the preview to WrestleMania, business notes on that, business notes on tonight's show, um, you know, um, you know, just, you know, in coverage of all the, the, the TVs and the, the visa situation with a lot of the CMLL guys, which impacts WCW, I mean, um, AEW greatly. Uh, TNA, I'll tell you what, man, that TNA pay-per-view number for Hard to Kill was unbelievable. I mean, it's like mind-boggling how well it did. And, uh, you know, got a lot of other stuff on, you know, what happened, you know, a lot of the talent really back in Scott Demore. Um, you know, it's still it's still kind of a weird situation there. I mean, I've never seen talent back a guy to that degree. Yet at the same time, I know he's not coming back unless, you know, and he's not buying the company. He tried that. That didn't work. There you have it. All right, Dave. Well, enjoy Revolution tonight, and we'll talk all about that and more with you next week. Thank you, sir. Okay, have a great week. Well, coming up, a couple fun announcements for you regarding a guest joining us next week, plus some cool news coming from Dungeon Wrestling that I'll share with you. But next up, it's some of your feedback when it comes to the end of Sting's career. We're going to ask you about your favorite Sting moments. That's next. This is McGuire on Wrestling. Hello from jolly old England. This is Andy Evans from the Squared Circle podcast, which you can listen to each and every week on Maguire on Wrestling podcast feed. If you would like to know the latest from professional wrestling with coverage of TNA, WWE, All Elite, New Japan and more, plus in-depth look back at what happens on the days gone by, then check us out each and every week as part of your midweek fix. This is TSC, the Squared Circle. Welcome back to McGuire on Wrestling. just want to let the whole thing play because let's face it AEW's done a great job of restoring the dignity to the Sting character but that that right there is the Sting music right that WCW theme and then that stuff that WWE tried to replace it with just just wasn't doing it you know what I mean nothing against man called Sting all right I love Surfer Sting too for different reasons but that is the Sting music. So, as we go into this next part of the show, I felt it only fitting that we started off with that because it really is 
the end of, I, I believe, a perennial favorite. And I said this earlier with Dave. Just one of those guys where even if you weren't a huge Sting fan, you couldn't really slag on the guy because it's not like he was terrible or anything. He was always just that guy that was there. I myself, especially in that late 90s run, man, I was all about Sting. I love Sting. I love Brett. I thought they had a series of great matches, even though they never really had that, like, rip the roof off the building, you know, tear the place down match. I still thought they had some great matches, especially considering everything else that was going on around them at that time. But when it comes to finding favorite moments, I had to turn it over to you. So on the Team MOW McGuire on Wrestling Facebook page, I threw out the question, and that is your favorite Sting moments. Okay, not just matches. It could be matches, but moments. What was your favorite moment that Sting had? Because I think that Sting was honestly probably a better moments guy than he even was a match guy, and he was a great match guy. But I think Sting really had those moments that make him a favorite among fans. So let's go to the board. Of course, Andy Evans, he hosts TSE, the Squared Circle, which you can get for free just by subscribing to this podcast feed. Now, Andy has chosen three different moments. Now, they're all great, but I think the one I'm going to choose from Andy's is his AEW debut. Andy adds that Sting's AEW return is the return that really nobody saw coming. And I think that's a pretty fair statement because when Sting first arrived in AEW, I think we were all like, oh, okay, Sting's back. This will be fun for... You know, a match or two. And then he started doing the cinematic thing, and we're like, okay, well, you know, it, it's nice to have Sting around. Get the bad taste of the WWE run out of our mouth. But that night, if you remember, it was Team Taz putting the beat down on Darby Allen, Dustin Rhodes, and Cody Rhodes. And then this happened. Second Libel says the lead-up and match with Vader at Super Brawl 3. You know, Vader never gets enough credit, I feel, for what he did, especially in WCW. Vader was legitimately the man. He was the monster in that company, and unfortunately, a lot of what happened to him in WWE, especially the first run, just didn't do anything for him. So as far as him getting... Props there, absolutely, and and what a great match. It was a strap match, Sting and Vader, Sting bloodied up, Vader just being taken down, chopped down by this hero of WCW. Look at Race, he's hitting Sting's hands, he can't break him loose. And what was a brutal fight here at Super Brawl? 
That entire match was so brutal. Vader and Sting, both bloody messes, and Sting fighting to the very end. It was one of those moments we hear about all the time where Sting didn't go over, but he definitely got over. Rob Jamison, who is on his way to Greensboro, North Carolina, as we speak to see Sting's final match, he says, I wish I was being sarcastic here, but I still love the RoboCop team up. Also, the slow burn of Silent Crow Sting in the year of wondering who he aligned with was a tremendous storytelling. And lastly, seeing him walk down the aisle at Survivor Series as a member of WWE, regardless of how terribly they handled him, was amazing. I'll give you that. The, the fact that he arrived and was finally there, very cool. What happened afterwards, eh, we can move on. Dave Drashev says, Honorable mention to Joker Sting in TNA because I love the kooky promos and messy face paint. But I used to love any time there'd be plants with Sting masks and then there'd be one that was actually Sting. Also, Sting coming down and saving unconscious DDP on Nitro in 97 and then both of them getting hooked in and ascending to the rafters still makes for an awesome visual. He's still holding him off! You look back and watch that now and you think, woof. But back in the day, that was pretty amazing. A lot of great comments here on the Team MOW Facebook page, but I'm going to leave us with our good friend Joe Aguinaldo, and he says that his favorite Sting moment is Sting finally pinning Ric Flair at Great American Bash 90 to win his first world title. I'm sure you have your favorite Sting memories and moments, and I'm sure we're going to get something very special tonight for AEW's Revolution. Before I let you go, I want to thank you, as always, for downloading the show. If you want to support us in what we do, Team MOW is waiting for you at mcguireshow.com. You can visit the merch shop, but just by hitting subscribe and giving us five stars and leaving a comment, that helps more than you can imagine. So, again, thank you for your support of the show. Next week, some developments on Dungeon Wrestling returning to pay-per-view and... A very special guest. This is really, really cool. Savio Vega going to be on the show, and we're going to talk a lot about 90s wrestling, his career, even his return at Backlash this past year in Puerto Rico, and a lot more. So I hope you can join me for that. Enjoy Revolution. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, thanks for listening and letting me do what I do. Play safe, drive safe. Ah, be senior.